Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Come together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I'd like to take a few minutes and just walk through a number of things that, and just basically verse, section by section, walk through what he says here. The first thing he says is to prepare your minds for action. And that word, therefore, um, is a hinge. It's just kind of a transition word where he is saying, in light of everything that I've already said, in light of all that, with that in mind, with that gospel in mind, prepare your minds for action. And quite simply, that preparation for action literally translated means to gird the loins of your mind. Now, we might not, we, I know we don't use that terminology much anymore, girding up your loins, all right? But it is, if you read God's word, you read it on a number of occasions. And it's probably why they didn't really translate it, gird up your loins in this particular location. They just said, prepare your minds for action, because in reality, that's the heart of what uh, Peter is talking about. But to gird up the loins was a phrase in which was used for people to basically take your dress and make pants out of it, or take your robe and turn it into pants, which is what they would do. And we don't wear robes um, um, in general in our culture. Now, if we were to go to the East, if you lived in Pakistan or Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or, uh, or Israel, you would probably see a lot of people wearing robes, men and women, all right? But in, in, these, in biblical times, what this reference was to the occasion that they needed to take action and they needed to move more freely than they could potentially move with the long robe hanging all the way to their feet. So they would reach all the way down and gather up all that was hanging between their legs and tuck it in their belt. That basically turned that robe into pants. And so then they could run if need be. So that's typically, in general, that was the phrase uh, that made up, gird up your loins. That's what it means. And so he's saying... Gird up your loins for action or prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. So that is to simply say that the time for action is now. It's time to make yourself ready to act. Persecution and difficulty are coming and you need to be prepared to respond. So simply saying that it's good for us to know that there are times for rest and there are times to, to stop and to rejoice and to be at peace and to know all that the Lord has done for us in our hearts and in our lives, but also to take note that there is something that is taking place in the life around us that requires action on our part. And if we are unprepared for that action, we might not respond the way that we should respond. We not, might not be ready to react in a circumstance that demands, in this case, 
godliness, a godly response, a Christian response of righteousness, a Christian response of obedience to God, regardless of the difficulty that we might face. Now, Peter addresses for the church the persecution that they were enduring. And in a lot of ways, I think they were being persecuted more because they were under reproach for living differently. They weren't necessarily uh, suffering a whole lot of physical persecution where they were being killed for their faith, All that, although that was happening on some occasions. But in most cases for the believers, it was just simply the fact that they were radically different than everybody else, and their different lives were naturally judgmental towards the other people around them, even though they were not intending to be judgmental, those who were lost felt judged by their behavior. They simply said, you are not acting like us. Why is that? And it caused them to react with hostility towards the believers. Peter's addressing that, and he's telling them that you're going to endure hard days, difficulties, maybe even persecutions. And if you're not prepared for that, when that comes upon you, Even though you know you're a believer and you are a Christian, you might react in an ungodly way. Prepare your mind to respond rightly now, is what he is saying. So then he says in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Now that means to be sober. Now that... That's a word that we understand in reference, specifically in reference to uh, um, intoxication. We kind of compare that with intoxication. Sobriety versus intoxication. Now, physically speaking, uh, that's kind of a reference to uh, partaking or eating or drinking or participating in some form of a substance that impairs vision or reactions or behaviors, and it results in what we call an intoxication. So, Basically, our, our behavior and our reactions and our, our, um, our choices become impaired by some substance. That could be alcohol, it could be food, it could be entertainment, it could be, um, it could be anything. It could be a lot of things. Caffeine. It could be a number of things. Now, Peter's not necessarily uh, giving any form of an instruction or an admonition right here against all those things. But what he is saying specifically here is in spirit, we are to be sober. So he is not speaking uh, of physical uh, sobriety so much as he is of spiritual sobriety. Although I don't think that we should separate the two or work too hard to separate those because we know that all of our physical behaviors ultimately originate from the heart. The things that we do come from the heart. And it is important to recognize that our behavior should reflect what God is doing in our spirits and in our hearts. So our behavior should reflect sobriety if we are sober in spirit. So then let's take a look at uh, being uh, spiritually speaking so sober. So intoxication uh, in relation to the spiritual life, I think we could look at the biblical word of entanglement. There's a couple times that that pops up in the New Testament in uh, kind of in reference to sobriety. So which would kind of be, you could kind of partner that with the concept of intoxication, to be entangled with the things of the world. So 2 Timothy 1.6 gives us kind of a picture of that. Paul, he gives Timothy an admonition to remain sober and to not be entangled with the things of the world. And he uses three illustrations for why he should not be entangled with the things of the world. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says this, 
You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So here's the first illustration, being a soldier in a, in a military. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I just want to pause for a second and just say that entanglement in the affairs of everyday life is not necessarily only evil, but it can also be good things as well. We know that good and bad things can consume our thoughts, can consume our desires, can consume our passions, and can consume our minds to such an extent that that is all we focus on on a daily basis. And I believe what Peter is encouraging us to do is to be sober in spirit in such a way that even the good things of life do not consume us to the extent that we lose sight of the gospel and, and viewing the world and viewing the good and the bad of this world through the lens of the kingdom of God to the extent that when we suffer persecution or when the good things change to bad, we respond in a bad way or respond in an ungodly way. So he says we need to be sober-minded, prepared for action so that we respond well. Notice what Timothy, Paul tells Timothy there in 2 Timothy 1, uh, or 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, he says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, here's the second illustration, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Then the third illustration, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So three illustrations, he says. He uses the soldier, he uses uh, the athlete, and he uses the farmer as an example. Uh, but notice that uh, the, those things refer to fruits that could potentially be impaired by entanglement with the things of the world. So in the first case, the soldier obviously wants to win the battle because for him it's life or death. If he loses, he dies. That's basically how it works on the battlefield in general. All right, so, so he must train and he must be able to fulfill his obligations, be obedient to his orders and commands in such a way that he can win the battle. So obviously the fruit of his labor is going to be to win whatever battle he has to fight. The athlete has to train so that when he's performing his, uh, his race or whatever uh, activity it might be that he's competing with, he has to train in such a way that he can be better than everybody else that he's competing against. So the fruit of his labor is going to be to win the race or to win whatever competition it is. The farmer obviously has to pay attention to the weather, he has to pay attention to the seasons, he has to till the ground and plant the seeds and water the seeds, and he has to pay very careful attention, be extremely disciplined, disciplined to the work he's doing in order to receive the fruit that he wants to get. And any negligence in any of those things is going to affect the outcome. A farmer who's negligent is going to have a negligent or is going to have a, a, a crop that is not what he ultimately wanted. An athlete that's negligent is not going to have the results that he wants. And a soldier that's negligent 
is not going to do well on the battlefield. And so these, these kinds of entanglements he's illustrating will affect the fruits. And so what Peter is telling us is be sober in spirit because there are things in this world that will impair our ability to respond with godliness and righteousness and produce the fruits of righteousness in our lives that we know that the Lord wants to produce in our daily life. So we have a goal. We know that our future goal is to be glorified with Christ Jesus, to be made perfect, to be made new again. That The Lord will complete that work. But in the process, we know that it is God's will to conform us to the image of Christ. And we know that the Spirit of God dwells within us and is producing fruit in us. And we want to see ourselves growing more and more into the image of Christ. We want to see that fruit and we want to reap that reward in this life. And we want to see the benefits of being godly Christians. But, that, but being negligent in that, not being sober, so to speak, will affect it. 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter is a little bit more specific about this concept. In chapter 5, verse 8, this is what he says. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. So there he adds another concept, alert, eyes up, focused on the goal, focused on the prize. Be alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So he's saying, pay attention, be sober, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. So we live in a world that's extremely dangerous for all who are not alert and sober-minded. Now, as a believer, as a believer, I know this firsthand, and I know you do as well, because we've all known, I think most of us know what it feels like and what it is like to sin against God as believers. And why did we sin against God as believers? Because obviously we know better. We know better. But we did it because we stopped paying attention. We did it because uh, we still live in a flesh that desires the things of the world. And Paul says the, his heart agrees with the holiness of God and loves the righteousness of God, but his flesh does not, and they are at war with one another. And so he calls us to walk in the Spirit in such a way and be alert and be sober-minded in such a way that we do not stumble and fall into the sin and the temptations of our flesh of a daily life. And this is why we sin on a daily basis as, as believers. And I believe Peter is saying, listen, it is the will of God for you to be sober-minded and to be ready for this action because you will be tempted. So in addition to the difficulties of life and the sufferings of persecution, we also will endure temptation. And we must be ready to endure the temptation as believers. And then he comes to this last part of verse 13. He says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is ultimately this is the context of being called into action, where we're being called to prepare our mind. It's a gospel context because he's already preached the gospel to you and I, saying this is who we are in Christ Jesus. With this in mind, I want you to be ready, be sober-minded, and to fix your hope completely on the grace 
So the gospel is the substance of Christian sobriety. So if we're going to partake in a substance on a daily basis that is going to keep us sober-minded and ready in action, the gospel is the substance. And so he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is a, he is pointing the eyes of the believers forward to our eternal glory. He's pointing our eyes forward again to glorification. That's the word that we use to refer to the day when we will leave this earth and when the Lord will restore us, when he will make all things new and we will have a new body and there will be no more sin in us. He will complete, fully complete this work that he has started in us. And we look forward to that day. And he's saying, set your minds on that day. And ultimately, who is that rooted in? Is rooted in Jesus Christ. So our eyes need to be fixed. And that word fixed simply means to be secure. We are to secure our hope on Jesus alone. Our hope needs to be secured in Jesus, and that will carry us through. So the gospel is the substance of our Christian sobriety. So also look at verse um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is just, again, just a reminder of what he's told us already. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from from the dead. So this is work that he has already accomplished in us. We've been born again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's already preached this gospel to us, and now he's saying to us, if we're going to be ready for action, if we're going to be sober-minded in life, then we need to fix our hope completely on this grace that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we already know it in part. We've already seen it a little bit. Paul says we see now dimly. One day we will see clearly. And also this work is completed in the eternal work of Jesus Christ. We just haven't seen the ultimate fulfillment of all of that yet. So he's not telling us to work in order to accomplish all of this by doing more good deeds. He's telling us to rest in this and to rejoice in this. And this is going to prepare our hearts for action. Now, a couple things to just notice really quick before we move on to verse 14 and 15 is this. Um, the phrase, prepare your minds for action, is a participle which basically means that it is ongoing. Preparing your minds for action while you are keeping yourself ready to act in a godly fashion and then be sober, that's also a participle. It means keep being sober or being sober. So while you are preparing your minds for action and while you are keeping yourself sober in spirit, fix your hope and that's the imperative. That's the action. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. So in order to fix our hope completely on the grace of God, we need to continue in this preparing our minds for action and being sober in spirit in this world, focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we're not intoxicated by all the good and the evil things that are part of this physical world that seems to consume all of our, all of our thoughts and emotions and 
in all of our actions. And then let's look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Which were yours in ignorance. Now, um, obedient children is an interesting phrase. When I hear that as obedient children, typically I immediately think, well, um, sometimes I'm obedient, sometimes I'm not obedient. And I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm a child of God, but sometimes I'm an obedient child of God, and sometimes I'm not an obedient child of God. But the literal translation of this word, the way it's written in Greek, means children of obedience. It means children of obedience, which is different than this is not something that you do, this is something that you are. Uh, it's an identity. Now, it's also, it's really good to hear this in the context of Paul's writings. Now, remember, there's a debate. Nobody really knows. Uh, because a lot of what Peter says is almost word for word the same as a lot of things that Paul says, or the other way around. Some people aren't sure whether Paul read Peter's letters and incorporated some of that in his letters, or whether Peter read Paul's letters. I like to think maybe Peter read Paul's letters. I think that's just because I like Peter more. So there's, no, there's no real good science behind that. So, But it is interesting, when you read Paul's letters in Ephesians several times, Peter or Paul makes reference to... Um, children uh, are sons of disobedience. Uh, Children of wrath is what he calls them, sons of disobedience. That's a reference to people who are not believers, people that are not part of the kingdom of God, people that have not trusted in Jesus by faith. And so there are characteristics of the sons of disobedience who, who live according to the lusts of the flesh. But he says, Peter is saying, now you are not sons of disobedience. You are children of obedience. That's an identity change. That's something that God has done in us that's permanent that took place when we were born again. That born again concept in verse um, verse 3 where he says we've been caused to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took us from being children of disobedience to making us children of obedience. So I am a child of obedience even though sometimes I'm not obedient. Does that make sense? So then he says, children of, since you are, you know, as obedient children, this is your identity. So now, since this is who you are, it doesn't make sense for you to go on being conformed to your former life. Now, conformity means to uh, take the shape of something. It's like taking clay and smashing it into a mold. It conformed to the image of the mold. And so... Peter is telling us that our lives will be conformed one way or the other. And it doesn't make sense and it is not good for us to continue being conformed into the image of children of disobedience when in fact we are children of obedience. He's not saying to us, stop being children of disobedience and be children of obedience by way of your behavior. The only way we can go from one to the other is by trusting in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That's the only way we can be changed from being a son of a death to being a child of life, to being a child of disobedience or a child of obedience is by trusting in Jesus to be our Savior. And just to pause for a second, I'd just like to encourage you, if you're at all wrestling with your salvation or if you know you're not a believer and you're listening to all these instructions, these are for believers. So attempting to follow all this in order to gain God's approval is not the way to go. Um, this is where I would encourage you to first Trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord and that his sacrifice on the cross paid the price for your sins. Cry out to him for salvation and for forgiveness 
and repent of your sins and follow God. And the Lord will transform you. He will change you. He will cause you to be born again. He will cause you to go from being a, a child of disobedience to be a, being a child of obedience. It's an identity change. And then he will give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will begin this work in you that we're preaching about today. These things that we as believers are striving for. The Holy Spirit is working in us. He's compelling us to do these things. And he's compelling us to love these things. And he's compelling us to walk this way. The Spirit of God will produce obedience in you as you walk with God. So I would encourage you before we go on, cry out to Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. But he says, children of obedience, uh, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in ignorance. Now, that word ignorance, I believe, is a spiritual ignorance. So let's, let's not forget that Peter was talking also to Jews. Jews knew the Bible. They knew the law of God. That was one of my first thoughts when I read this. I thought, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've known the Bible for a law, you know, I've known the law of God since I was a child. You know, I've been going to church and people, my, people have been preaching to me the law of God. And there's a lot of people that know the law of God fairly well, but are still not believers. They still don't trust in Jesus for salvation, but they know the law of God. And when they sin against God, they might even know they're breaking a law of God. They're not necessarily sinning in, in ignorance. But here I believe Peter's referring to a spiritual ignorance where even when the Jews were sinning against God, knowingly breaking his laws, they were blind to the fact that they did not understand the mysteries of salvation because they did not know Jesus. They were ignorant to the truth. And what he's saying to you and I as believers, remember he's now talking to us as believers, we're not ignorant anymore. We're not children of dis disobedience. We're children of obedience, and we have our eyes have been opened to the truth. We not only know the law of God and know God's word fairly well, we also know the Spirit, and He preaches to us daily what is right and what is wrong. How much more shameful would it be for us to continue in sin from our standpoint, from our viewpoint? We see sin in a way that nobody else can see it. We understand it to be exactly what it is, rebellion against a holy God. That's why Paul says, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. And so it is. this is where Peter begins to compel the people, stop living in sin. Let's remember he's probably talking to people who have been Christians for a long time. He's probably talking to a bunch of new believers. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to who were religious but were coming to faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus to be the source of their righteousness, not their obedience and their, their law-abiding skills. But he's also talking to the Gentiles who were pagans, who were trusting in the righteousness of Christ, but now they're being compelled to stop living like pagans and actually be obedient to the law of God. Peter's preaching to all of these people, and I think we can apply those in that way to our lives. So children of obedience should be compelled by God to conform to Christ. Remember, it is God's will for us to be conformed to Jesus, not to be conformed to the sins of the flesh, our former lusts. Remember in Romans 8, Paul says that, that part of that good, the will of God to work all things to the good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, part of that explanation that follows is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. 
That is God's will for us. And that should take, give you comfort. It gives me comfort, especially when I see my sin and I see my failings and I wrestle with the, the fact that I know that I'm a child of God, but yet I can't understand why I sin against God continually. I'm reminded that God is still at work in me and it is God's will to conform me to Jesus. And he's doing that work in me. That gives me hope that I'm not, I don't have to live out the rest of my days as a sinful fool. God is, God is conforming me to Jesus. He is continually transforming me by the renewal of my minds. And that gives me hope. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing this with the Spirit of God. Let's look at the next, uh, next verse. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, which simply means that God is the benchmark for behavior. God is the measure, the standard of measure. Our behavior should be as holy as God is. Our behavior should measure up to the holiness of God. And then in verse 16, he calls upon the authority of that statement. He's simply stating that I am not the one telling you this. God is. In verse 16, he says, because it is written. It is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now he's quoting from the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus 11.44, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. In verse 19.2, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And these are commands that come from the mouth of God. I'm going to read to you one of those from Leviticus chapter 19. This is what he says, 19 verse one, he says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. And that's what Peter is quoting. He's basically saying, listen, our standard of measure is God himself and the holiness of God. We need to be holy because God is holy. And I'm not just, I'm not just some guy telling you this. God has already told you this, and it is on his authority. Now, in chapter 19 in the book of Leviticus, if you were to continue to read that, you'll notice that 16 times in that one chapter alone, he says, I am the Lord your God. Over and over again, he says, I am the Lord your God. In verse, just right here in verse 3, he says, Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. He gave them instruction, and he reminded him who was speaking. He gave him instruction, and then he reminded him who was speaking. That's as if to say it's very similar to when my children... I give them an instruction and they say, why? And I don't have the time to give them a really good explanation. And I say, because I am your father and I told you to do it. That's it. I am appealing to my authority as dad. And that's where it stops. And it's very much like that. Only God is saying, I am the Lord, your God, your maker. And I told you to do it, so do it. And that's. That's the authority that Peter is pulling on when he's preaching. Also, another side note is that here you have a New Testament preacher using the Old Testament as a text and a source 
for teaching New Testament believers. So whenever you question the relevance of the Old Testament and whether it's necessary and useful for understanding how we ought to live our lives today, it is absolutely relevant and is absolutely necessary. It is the, it is the source. It, it all works together. One message, one theme, beginning to ending. Very important. Now, with all this in mind, I think there are some very simple applications. Almost exactly how he says it. We are to be preparing our minds for action. We are to be sober in spirit. We are to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to us, meaning that we are to saturate our minds and our hearts and ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the, the substance of our Christian sobriety in this world. It keeps us focused and it keeps us from being deceived. It keeps us from falling prey to deception and, and temptation. It keeps us focused on the goal. And since we are children of obedience and the Lord is conforming us, we should pursue repentance from former lusts, if, if there are any that remain, and we should continue to pursue that conformity to Christ. And that is where our relationship with Jesus is vital drawing near to the Lord, and he will draw near to us. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who will produce that conformity to Jesus. But as long as we continue in intoxication and indulging in the lusts of our flesh, we will not see the fruit of righteousness born in our physical lives on this earth. And that's why it's important for us to repent. Because like the farmer and like the athlete and like the soldier, we want to see the fruit of righteousness born in our lives. We do want to see that. And then the last imperative that's in this whole um, section is the, the phrase, be holy. That's the last imperative that's in here. So the first one was to fix your hope completely on the grace. And the second was to be holy. Set your mind on Christ and live holy lives. I invite you as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray through those things as I do. And again, if you're wrestling at all with your salvation with Jesus, cry out to him to be your savior. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.